interesting, occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. podcast we have jason the creator of our incredible theme song that you just heard and we are so happy to have him and we're so happy that he had made our incredible theme song that makes us a way more legit production than we would otherwise be um we're gonna do a 2.0 this year <laughs> sure <laughs> yes sounds good yeah the remix. Like, yeah remix to, to make it like a different style every year like we're gonna do the r&b occasionally interesting theme song this year you know it's gonna be crazy so, you Jason also owns successful businesses around Pi and is has like one of the coolest nomad lifestyles of anybody we've met. You're a traveling musician. You own businesses. You do all of this really cool shit. How did you? Uh, is this the standard for people from Florida? Like in the states, when you meet people from Florida, they don't like leave Florida. They stay in Florida. But here in Pi. You've created this magical community where all of these people from your high school and your town come and, like, are interesting. What's going on? What happened to your high school that made you all, like, really cool people? I I think Florida's filled with the weirdest people in the world. This is a known fact, this yes. This is a known fact, yeah. Um, actually, it, it just happened by chance. Um, the There was a guy that I went to university with. His name's Mitch, and um, he came here for a backpacking trip maybe close to seven years ago. Fell in love with Pi, fell in love with a girl, now that now they're married. Fell in love with the lifestyle, just just totally fell in love with, with the area. And um, I was his only other friend from university that was in Asia. I was living in South Korea at the time teaching. Mm. And he called me up one day, and he said, hey, you want to start a hostel in Pai? And in my head, Thailand was the beach. You know? And <laughs> yeah. so I totally had no interest in that. You know, um, I had done a lot of traveling before in Asia, but not in Thailand. And uh, in fact, I had never been to Thailand. And I just like said, yeah, man, I already got a job. And I thought about it for a little while. And I was 22. And I said, fuck it. Can I say that? Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Like... I got. I don't really have a lot to lose, so let's uh, let's go for it. And like it was, it happened so quickly. I left South Korea. I arrived in Chiang Mai. I had another friend from Florida that was living in Chiang Mai teaching. He picked me up. We got um, not arrested, but we got pulled over immediately for not wearing helmets. And I was like, okay, here's my introduction to to Thailand. You know, the first Thai person I met was the police officer, and he called me Big Boy. So. <laughs> There are, there are worse things to be called. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I, you know, I was a little self-conscious about that. Um, what? Yeah, I was like, why, why am I the big boy? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember coming to Pi or taking the, the bus to Pi for the first time. And it was before they had properly paved the, the highway oh, wow. here. It was paved, but it was really in a bad, bad state. A lot of sinkholes and whatnot. <laughs> I remember just being... Like having my my face glued to the window, just in awe of the beauty of like as soon as you enter the Mae Song Province, you have the sign, and you're just looking around these deep green valleys, and it was exact nearly so six years ago, coming this uh, this month that I they arrived, and um, 
Yeah, and then I arrived in Pi, and Pi was, I don't know, at least 25% smaller. Yeah, sure. And way less populated with tourists and everything, especially in that season. And, uh, you know, I had this little drawn map on my phone from Mitch of how to get the common grounds, which, of course, now is just around the corner from the bus station. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to get this is going to be a little confusing, you know. And that's how I ended up here in Thailand. And just like Mitch fell in love with Pi. How did you get to be how did you do so much traveling at such a young age? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I did a bunch of Europe trips as you do. Like I started, I did my first one when I was 15 and it was this super cool trip because we were 90 friends from high school. What? With four chaperones. <laughs> one of them being my best friend's father. Holy crap. So it was like, you take a 15 year old, you put him in, uh, in Europe for a month and a half or so, and they go wild. Yeah. yeah we're, we're able to I'm drink. Sure. Or, I mean, all yeah. 90 of you must have been the most incestuous group. Oh, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> but in it, it, it was Delightful such an eye opener as well. You know, I, I was so, I've always been really into history. I, I majored in history and uh, also language. And um, so not only the partying side of it, but just the fact that there's places that are older than 50 years old, like mm. Florida. Yeah. You know? Or a hundred years old, and um, also my mom, uh, my mom's family is Argentinian. So when I was sixteen, I went to Argentina by myself, and then again when I was eighteen with the same chaperones, I was invited as a chaperone. Oh wow! <laughs> at eighteen? At eighteen? Chaperoning fifteen? Years? I don't think I think we were half. We were f- uh, one full bus, so like forty-five kids, or forty-five people in total. Uh huh. Me being one of the chaperones at eighteen, yeah. And uh, that also took us to Morocco. And that was, yeah, it was another eye-opener. And then the next year, uh, since my majors were history and German, I went to go live in uh, Munich and study there. As like a study abroad? As a study abroad. And um, yeah, I, I think it also, so besides the history aspect and the love of travel and culture and food and also meeting other people and socializing. It was always music that drove me places. And I was playing gypsy jazz since I was 15. So when I got to Munich and I started seeing gypsy jazz on the street, occasionally, because it's not that big in Munich, but you would see it occasionally. And my roommate was from Belgium and Django Reinhardt was born in Belgium. So I went with him to Belgium and that's when I was first like, this is my place (laughs) my girlfriend was my ex-girlfriend was belgian um my roommate now he's one of my good old friends he's belgian and half of the kids in my program were belgian so i just had this i I thought i was going to be living in belgium like this was my my plan so um after after graduating from the university of florida i applied for a phd program in ghent history but at the same time my old roommate she uh, she was teaching english in south korea and having the time of her life she had already been doing that for for two years and you know i said to myself you know why am i going straight back into school i can go work make a good salary have see a different part of the world and i remember 
like that happened super quickly as well. Like I went to Israel, Jordan, Palestine, and two weeks later I had a job like like this when I was in South Korea. Wow. And I don't know if you guys have talked to people who've worked in South Korea. On the podcast? No. No, okay. In life? Yes. <laughs> well, it's like, it's basically a dream job for a native English speaker because you get a good salary, an apartment, an airfare, insurance, everything. And Really? Yeah. And at <laughs> least then, seven years ago. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> What's the salary like? Um, yeah, good salary Wuhan? for a 22-year-old or a grown-ass adult? I mean, like, relative to your living costs, considering everything's paid for except for your fun and food, um, it was, I think it equates to, like, $2,100 a month. But that's, that's essentially <laughs> saved. And, you know, the, the culture in South Korea is that your employer basically takes you out to dinner to get drunk and eat barbecue <laughs> every night. Oh. So you only have to pay for your, your breakfast, basically. <laughs> so you really, you're really you saving that. You're saving, yeah. Wow. And uh, the fun part about it, I, it's probably changed because it wasn't really on the map for backpackers because it was slightly more expensive than Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and also a little bit more foreign in a way. Um, you would go out and during the weekend, I lived in Ansan, so you take the train to Seoul about an hour away. You'd go out and you'd see people passed out on the ground. And you know that those people on Monday are all teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and that was great. That was great. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but that, I really, really loved the fact that, like, you felt like you were kind of floating under or over society, being a, what they call Weguk, a Falang, uh-huh. a foreigner. So way being way I like that. Yeah. <laughs> does every does every culture have a word for farang? Does I mean does every Eastern culture have a? Yeah. I know the one in Japanese is gaijin, and I forgot the one in Indonesian. Uh, but yeah, I feel I, like we were taught that when we were in Indonesia. I think they told us. Yeah, I don't remember it yeah. either. But yeah. Anyway, all right. So you were in Korea, and then is this how? Did you ever have it in mind that you were going to be like a businessman in, d- in addition to being a musician or like, yeah. What well, is that you- also, so we know you from Jazz House. Yeah. Maybe I had Jazz House. You're also a traveling musician. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other <laughs> defining job-like entities of? I don't think. Uh, I don't like to ask people what they do for work. Right? Yeah, essentially, I don't think work and and my name have much in common. But you know, I I really just work on music a lot, and so mm-hmm. I do production from from here, like a postal service style. Now it's so easy; you can just send something with Dropbox, send some yeah. files over, I do some work, and right. But um, so I have a we have a gypsy jazz group that we're they're here every high season, and we play in Europe. And you have uh, two albums out, right? Three. Three. This is this is our third album, yeah. Um, What's the name? Plug. Oh, Hot Club to Pie. Hot Club to Pie. That's easy. And as always, find uh, that link in the That's on Spotify. And on Spotify. And iTunes and whatever people use these days. Whatever the kids are using. <laughs> um, but no, actually when I so I was always playing music for money. That was always my job. And I mean since I was thirteen I was gigging. And um, I knew that 
you know, I, I enjoyed history, but the chance of me like doing this, like a 40 hour work week, doing research or being a teacher just wasn't what I wanted. Right. I wanted to be a musician. Did you always know that? Well, my dad bought me uh, Timothy Ferris's four-hour work week. <laughs> we like, reference it frequently on this podcast. Do you? Okay, yes. yeah. I mean, it's the digital nomad's Bible. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not a digital nomad, but I think musicians and digital nomads have a lot in common. Yeah. Know? We like to work when we want and how we want and where we want. Um, I don't remember when that – I think I was about 15 or 16 years old though, when it came out and you gave it to me. Yeah, I think it came out in 2004. Okay, so I was 14 when it came out, right. And, um, yeah, and after reading that, I knew, okay, there has to be another way. And so I started thinking about real estate, like passive income. And so when I was 18, I went ahead and got my real estate license. And, you know, I was just about to graduate high school and I was going to, to Gainesville for the University of Florida and, uh, like my grandfather and my dad liked the idea that I was getting into this because they also were into real estate and stuff and they were supportive of the idea of passive income and they were also always supportive my mom included um, of me being a musician and doing what I love so as a graduation gift they helped me put the down payment on a house in Gainesville and that house was the house that I lived in throughout university and I had we had six bedrooms five bathrooms and rented it out to all friends and still to this day, that's what I do. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And so it's nearly like, uh, what is it, 11 or 12 years now that I've had that. And in about three years, it's paid off. And so that's, my goal is finally coming to to life, you know. <laughs> so um, that was my real first start with like my own business per se. Mm-hmm. But fuck, it is hard owning a house. <laughs> yeah man i thought i was just gonna buy one after the other and be like hey, it's like monopoly you know yeah no after the first one i was like this is it what was the biggest challenge about owning a house hurricanes oh yeah uh, i yeah. guess yeah, <laughs> big trees yeah. uh florida we had a robbery we had a big robbery once um were you living there at the time i we were all on spring break and came back Aww. and the house was really really that's screwed up so sad so sad we had, I had a lot vacation. of equipment stolen yeah and when you're a university kid you're also like poor as shit you feel so violated yeah, uh, yeah. scared scared as well because you're like damn do i want to st- do i want to stay here now yeah. like yeah so um yeah I, I mean there was definitely some hardships and then of course just the normal uh upkeep of a house of owning a house how is it doing that remotely um, so my father and I share the responsibility and we've just hired a uh, property manager. So the property manager, who's also one of my friends, actually he just left, but he's still the property manager. He just makes sure uh, it's rented and in turn he gets uh, like 50% off of his rent every month. Oh, nice. And so it's a, uh, it's okay. a nice little chunk for him and it's easy because it's basically once a year or once every six months, he's got a, a little work to do. Yeah advertising so it's like a win-win you know yeah Yeah, totally that's so you'd been working in korea and like other than owning this house in gainesville you basically hadn't done any like businessman stuff and then you get this call from mitch saying come open a hostel with me and does that like 
Well, okay. So originally, um, he asked me not to necessarily open it with him. He he said, I'm going to open up a hostel. I'm looking for, for people that I trust and know. Come help me do it. It wasn't necessarily like an investment opportunity okay. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't know if I wanted to take all the money I had just saved in Korea yeah. and pour it into this, the unknown. Yeah. But as soon as I arrived, I knew this was the place I would like to be. And I was also really naive. Like I, like I said, I'd never been to Thailand. I didn't understand the, the complexity of uh, visa, work visa rules and everything. I had gone through it for uh, Korea, but it was more or less pretty simple there. And I already had a proper job mm-hmm. um and then but only three or four months into living in pi and at common grounds when we were first starting out i knew okay i want to invest whatever i can which is a small percentage of of it but um it was my first like okay i'm gonna take this risk let's see what happens so and then and then when did jazz house enter the picture okay so jazz house for um Nine years before, it's been called Jazz House. Edible Jazz. Yeah, it was called Edible Jazz. And it was sort of like this mainstay here in Pi. Everyone knew about it. It always was just like a piece of Pi for the last 12 years or 15 years. I forgot how long. <laughs> um, and since the closing of Bebop about four or five years ago, it's currently the oldest still running music venue in Pi. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, um, I, I was always playing there. Like actually my second day in Pi, I already had a gig at Edible Jazz. And, um, I also met, uh, John Taney my second day. We played impromptu gig. That was the, we met on stage. We played that gig. I fell in love. I'm not sure. With he had John. This, I fell in love with John. I'm not sure he had he the same opinion. Right. Yeah, he was like, yeah. Actually, that's a good story, how I met John. Please tell us. Um, so I, P. Joy, the old owner of Edible Jazz, um, she was friends with Mitch and Phi, and they're the ones that hooked up the gig. So I arrived for the gig a little bit early just to check the place out. And here on the stage is this big, red-headed fucking <laughs> Scottish dude holding a guitar, trying to tune it. And it's like, Ew and i can see that he's having trouble you know and i'm thinking like fuck's sake this is the guy that's opening <laughs> up for me you know like we're not gonna have any people in here you know so uh i go up and i'm like you want me to help you tune the thing and he's like yeah mate that'd, that'd be great so tune the guitar for him and he's like you know you can you can play with me in the beginning if you want and like in my head i was thinking like the guy can't even tune his own guitar <laughs> like yeah, but you know what? It's good to warm up. So, okay, yeah, sure. We'll do it. And we played the first song, which was... Uh, oh, I didn't even know the song. Because uh, he plays like uh, songs that I'm not really into, but he does them in a way that makes me into them, you know? And it Aww. was uh, Paolo Nutini, Candy. Uh, and, like, I remember looking at him and, like, having all these tears in my eyes <laughs> and goosebumps. And I'm like... Oh my God, he's an angel. <laughs> We're going to have to post a picture of John oh, or a yeah, video sure. of him playing. Yeah, you can see a lot of videos of us playing. Um, and I remember after that gig, like, you know, 
telling John, we have to play together. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> okay. And little did I know, um, he was actually here writing his PhD in quantum physics. Oh, shit. From St. Andrews in Scotland. And he was just here because it was a cheaper place to write his thesis, <laughs> his final thesis, than to be in Scotland. So what happened was something like he was almost finished writing his thesis and the laptop broke. And we met and we started playing a lot of music. So he emailed his professor. He says, you know what? I'm fucking done. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing it. Like, like he had already gotten all the way through the four years and it was just the thesis he had to write. And after the thesis broke and we started playing music and I mean, the guy ha- has more soul than than Aretha Franklin. I mean, he's, yeah. he's the man. Um, yeah. So he, he canceled the PhD. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy yeah yeah yeah. and uh it took actually like a little hunting down to actually get him to play with me like for the next few days because i i woke up and i was like i had this dream and i was like man this is the guy i need to play with like i gotta find I've been that looking angel for again. a guy to play with here you know i just arrived and he's amazing and i remember like asking people I'm like have you seen this guy like <laughs> I, I think his name is john something john t you know and then finally, I go to Moi Peng Waterfall, the sliding waterfall here in Pai, and I see him there. And I'm like, dude, I've been looking everywhere for you, you know? Like, how about we meet at Common Grounds uh, tonight and we'll have a jam? And he's like, where the fuck is that? Because Common Grounds was definitely not on the map. We weren't actually officially open yet. Yeah. And, like, to my surprise, he walked in that night and the rest is history. We played together for, for years since. Aww. Yeah. Beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't currently play together, but we have an album coming out soon. He doesn't know oh, this, really? but we do. He does. <laughs> <laughs> no, he does know this. Actually, we're doing a postal service thing. So back to Jazz House. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you played with John, and then what happened? How did you 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 liked edible jazz? You kept playing there. Oh yeah. Uh, How did Jazz House happen? Right. Um. So after a few years, um. Uh, Ying who was working at Jazz House, a good friend of mine, and now partner. How did you get to be friends? Uh, We just met because she was working at Jazz House and I was also playing edible jazz. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had this idea to make like a tea house because there was only one tea house in town. I won't mention which one it is, but it's not very good. Well, we wanted to do like a kind of a a nicer tea house with tapas and stuff because she's an incredible chef. And um, we were looking at some places in the now happening Wednesday market. And uh, the owner of Edible Jazz like came to us and she, she's like, why don't you just buy this business for me? You know, I've been doing this for years and years and I'm ready to get out, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of felt like a no-brainer. And she came to both of you because you were already looking at being partners and a business somewhere else. And... Yeah, like we we were all friends, and she knew we were thinking about being partners somewhere else. And like Ying was the main chef, and I was the main musician, at least of the Falang. And so it was like edible jazz or jazz house has always been this union of really good food and as good of music as is in town. You know, really good music. Really Great good music. music. So sometimes. <laughs> All the time. All the time, yeah. We have not been seeing a poor musician there. Yeah. Yeah. 
but come more often. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it just felt like a no brainer, like because good. Sorry, <laughs> guys. It's happening. Earthquake. Earthquake yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like it felt like. If we wanted to create a new business here in Pi, which was already so saturated at that point, I mean, now forget about it. What year um, was this? 2015? 2016? It's three years since last July. So 2016, right? 2016, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dates don't really matter over here, do they? You're the historian, man. I would yeah. Think you're better at <laughs> That's the irony, people. right? So you'd been hanging out in Pi for like three years then before... Mm. Yeah, just about three years, two and a half years or so. Interesting. Yeah, and um, I had saved up a bunch of money from from gigs and different things, and so I said, okay, I'm gonna put my investment in this. And like, it was great. Like the first year, we were, you know, really doing well, and but the problem was we are. Um, located in the center of town directly across from the temple and we have these neighbors which are guest houses and we were just in retrospect we were being selfish i mean we were open late we were playing loud music everything you know and it um it was a scary time for us after the first year because we were uh, told by the chief of the village that our liquor license was going to be revoked because of because of noise? Because of noise, because we are so close to the temple that actually it shouldn't be a bar. And we're not uh, we're not strictly a bar. We're a restaurant yeah. that has a bar and has live music. You know, but it, we were treating it more as a bar. Yeah, and it's always alarming to us how many people we tell we like talk about Jazz House and they're like, "Wait, Jazz House has food?" And we're like, "Yeah, dude, it's the fucking best food Doing in town." Wrong. Yeah, but and people that's the yeah. drink. You ever come to pie? Eat Jazz House's food. It's absolutely Beat incredible. Pasta, which Jason's never had. But cheese-free America. <laughs> what? Cheese-free America. Oh. Is this a thing? I don't know. It's you're drug you're making a thing. Yeah, <laughs> making hashtag that one. I don't think America will get behind you on this one. Even even less so. Uh, they get behind cheese-free drug America, or drug free. Drug-free America. Cheese yeah, free that, drug. that was a failure. <gasps> yeah. Oh, circling back around. Yeah. Um. So what happened? How'd you how'd you turn it around? Yeah. So that was a really scary time because within the first year we had already made our investment back. Wow. But then oh shit. But then we had our liquor license like taken away, and we were told like we had to close super early and everything had to be low, and so it was like we're gonna lose this business because, as everyone knows, all over the world. The way you make money is by people buying drinks. I mean, our food is is really cheap for what you get. And so, like, there's not much profit there. But with drinks, also there's not much profit. But people are not buying uh, three beetroot pastas. They're buying three drinks. You know? Yeah. So, for a few months, it was really scary. And it was just kind of like breaking even. And it was also low season. So, it was even, um, hmm. you know, it was already a hard time. And then... We spoke. Uh, we spoke with the temple committee, and we like got back on their good side, and they allowed us to sell liquor again. And now, we like since then. I think it's about almost two years. 
uh, we've been doing everything until a reasonable time, and we built our own guest house there as well, so we don't want it to go on late. Hmm. We've got a decibel meter, like a lot of other places in town now, to respect the neighbors, and yeah. So hmm. now it's now it's coming all right, and uh, and there should be no reason it's not around for the next few years. And you just opened a new business. Yeah. Tell us a couple words about that. <laughs> the plugs. Yeah. Um, so this new place is called uh, The Hideout. And it is a beautiful two-story uh, traditional teak house right on Walking Street, right around the corner from Jazz House. The Main Street and Pie. Main Street and Pie. And... Um, the cool thing about it is the concept is we're like a bunch of different businesses in one building and we don't want, uh, we're, we're kind of picky about who's renting our space. Like we don't want just like elephant pants and like uh mango sticky rice. You know what I mean? Like we wanted some quality <laughs> <laughs> and which is cool because the whole town actually seems to be having this little renaissance in the center and everyone's building a new, new place and it's not just all the same over and over again right so our part of the hideout is a place called the green room and we also do live music there uh, it's a cozy little spot and there's also petite crew which is a uh, the only wine bar in the center of town uh, owned by the same guy who owns silhouette which is a resort here and then upstairs is our friend's who are also musicians, um, but they have a guest house upstairs. Um, so if anyone's looking for some uh, rental space, <laughs> you know who to contact. Nice. No elephant pants allowed. <laughs> My brother's not welcome. Uh, one tribe is a little higher quality, right? Yeah. Well, mm. sometimes. They get a brand. <laughs> yeah, they got a brand. Um, let's do a quick shout out to Mark Latsy and tell him to, I'll tell him to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Hey, Mark. Mark. See you soon. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Fair uh, have you ever, like, lived and worked in the U.S. as a grown-up? <laughs> as a grown-up? What's a grown-up? Uh, as a non-teenager? Uh, well, I left the U.S. right after graduation. And, I mean, I was always working as a musician. And, you know, like, I really loved my my program in, in UF because I scheduled my classes for like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that allowed me to go to Georgia, the Carolinas, Kentucky to, to play for the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, I'd be gigging in town, like even on the days that I had school. So not in the professional sense, but in the music sense. Yeah, <laughs> I was always gigging. That counts. That's work. That's work. Do you feel like you? Are, I want to ask something about like the the type of people you meet traveling versus the type of people you meet you not traveling. <laughs> I mean, have you noticed the difference between the two? Yeah. Well, you know, like Pi is a, is backpackers' paradise, and you know I'm here seven eight months a year in backpackers' paradise, and so when I leave. I don't want to see any backpackers. Yes. And so I normally go to places where there are no backpackers or there's very few backpackers or there's people 
that have some content to their words because sometimes <laughs> you get jaded, yeah. and especially after years and years of being here and also the first few years of living in a hostel. I mean, it's nice to get away from people for a little while. Yeah, we've started getting That's a little well said content jaded to their words. Yeah, content to their words. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the things we, we arrived in Pi and we had heard all these things about Pi. It was this you know, hippie paradise with music and, and nature, and haven. nature, and really that's great. great food. I mean, you arrive on Walking Street and oh god, you yeah. only see you know, drunk twenty year olds everywhere you look. Oh like, yeah, we were so confused. What's happening? And fortunately enough, we landed our first at Jazz place house. that we stayed was Jazz House and in the little A-frame couple bungalow. That was where we lived oh, yeah, for our yeah, first yeah. like, was, like ten two days weeks. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and Ying hooked us up with our first house. And okay. Yeah, Jazz House was oh, our first our first home. I had no idea. And we probably would not have uh, stayed in Pi if it weren't for staying at Jazz yeah. House our first week. Yeah. And that's thanks to Sarah Grunwell that she told us we had to stay at Jazz House. Shout outs. Sarah, shout out Sarah, our friend from Chiang Mai, who okay. now is living in Hungary. Okay. But cool. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Jazz, jazz no House idea. has a very special place in our hearts. Oh. Because Pi is sort of this mecca for backpackers and traveling musicians and artists and stuff, um, my roommate and I, about so nearly two years ago, we decided to just like invite whatever musician we see just at a random gig uh to our balcony and we record them and make videos uh all professional so semi-professional style very professional with iphones (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah but proper audio recordings and we just do it it's it's totally free for for everyone it's just a a way of kind of showing off the talent that comes through this place. Hmm. We've had everything from Thai country, Irish jig, funk, jazz, uh, everything you can think of we've had on there. And uh, we're looking forward to this season when other musicians come back and we can start doing that again. And how do you find that? How do I find what? Online. How, oh, uh, how would, how would, you how search would... Black House Sessions. Black House Sessions Pie. Okay. Yeah, I think if you just put Black House Sessions, it's the first one. Or the only one, maybe. <laughs> I think it's the only one I thought that would be. Okay. Too much. That sounds really cool. Oh. It is. I'm sure. I'm confident I've shown You've you You've never shown one. me this. Come on. We'll have to check it out. Anyway. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. You gotta check it <laughs> out. Definitely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I've watched a bunch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks What's, for sharing. You're welcome. What's the most unrealistic thing you believe in? The most unrealistic thing I believe in? That the world will survive longer than a few thousand years? I don't know. Longer than a few thousand years? Yeah. Wait, the world or the humans? Oh, humans were were gone soon. What do you mean by soon? A few hundred years, maybe? What do you believe that's unrealistic? At least the system. I I don't know. I'm I'm not really a... I'm not a... I'm an atheist and I'm a not really a believer in unrealistic things or at least i think they're not realistic but i think uh it's obvious that we're heading for some some sort of there has to be some sort of disaster in the next hundred few hundred years and well uh i won't be here but i think it'll be much sooner than 400 or a couple hundred years yeah i mean it's happening all the time it's happening currently but yeah 
Yeah, I mean, you know, everything that's happening in South and North Carolina. Fucked. Yeah. I mean, like, just here alone, I mean, we're... Pi was known for having a flood every 10 years, and we've had two in the last two or three years. Yeah. So it used to be like a, like every 10 years. And this is flood. the worst smoky season on record. Yeah, the I worst mean. smoky season on record. That, I think, is partially due to the, this, like, greed um, and lack of... I mean, pretty much all of our environmental destruction is due to greed. You're right, yeah. Sure. Amen. Well, what's the most environmentally friendly thing you do and the most environmentally friendly thing you want others to do? Well, I'm not a vegetarian. But you don't eat I don't eat cows. beef. I try not to eat beef. Um, and I try not to overdo it. I think it's balance is key. Um, I try my best not to take too many airplanes to do more overland stuff like we uh, my girlfriend and i just completed an overland journey from uzbekistan to europe wow and that was without planes um i mean like i don't have aircon i don't have a tv i don't have these things at home and I think my my footprint is pretty small, and I think most people here in Pi have a pretty small footprint. A lot of this, a lot other of the vegetables and planes, fruits are, but... yeah, exactly. Otherwise, other than getting here, but a lot of the fruits, vegetables, the meat that's local, um, I think we do a pretty good job together here, and the community is really strong, which is great. It's also a very small place, so it's easier to manage. But I, I don't I can't say uh, I'm like the poster child of green. I don't think anybody is the poster child of green. I think it's all just about you know yeah. doing what you can, keeping your mind open to what more you can do. I think yeah, exactly, and balance just balance it out. Not too much of everything, and you'll be all right. <laughs> What's the book that's most influenced your life? Ooh. A novel or a... Anything that... Any kind of book. I think there's two books that stand out. Uh, one would be uh, East of Eden, John Steinbeck, and the other one would be A Land Remembered, Patrick Smith. They're both really similar. And they both tell the story of... Um, through several generations of one family moving to a new area. So for in uh, East of Eden, it's actually John Steinbeck's... Uh, ancestors moving to California and the story of that and uh, Patrick Smith is all about his family moving to Florida in the early days of the settlers it's amazing I don't know why it influenced my life I mean I think there's the the you have everything in there I mean it's so it's it's realistic it's not even though it's a not even though it's fiction it's sort of more on the lines of historical fiction and, um, yeah, I don't know why I've always been drawn to those two books. Sometimes I reread them when I have time. But uh, I like a lot of different books. So, If there was one behavior or action you could get everyone in the world to do or stop doing, what would it be? Uh, fighting. 
Stop fighting or stop start fighting? <laughs> stop fighting. <laughs> stop. Uh, there's everyone. We're living in such a sensitive time. It, it feels like. Yes. Um, and like from everything. Everyone it just wants to like their, their fuse is so short. And it's like, why can't we just go back to being able to just talk about things? Or, I mean, from the like macro view, like looking at how um, diplomacy is failing these days or like the rise of authoritarian governments to the to the local view. Like, I mean, even here in Pai, like uh, for tourists, maybe they see this perfect little gem of a mountain village. But there's fights and there's violence even here, you know, and it's like senseless and totally useless. We can help each other. We have the the material wealth to do it. It's, yeah. Do you read uh, Wait But Why? What? Wait But Why? Of, heard of this? Wait But Why? No. Say, uh, we plug it on every episode. It's a, it's it's a webcomic, but like that is not really the appropriate. It's a standalone in its category. There's nothing else like it. It's okay. by Tim Urban, and he is first and foremost a researcher, mm-hmm. but instead of writing dry scientific journal research papers, he breaks things down on a level that is engaging funny and includes like microsoft paint comics to illustrate some of his points okay and he has taken the last three years i've been eagerly waiting for what he's up to and just last week launched um this huge project of essentially studying what you're talking about like so sort of like i mean he's why on a bigger question is like how how did we get to the state that we're in right now as a society social sort of uh and it takes a very sort of anthropological look at it Mm -hmm. um and the last one so they're on the third chapter they just released it but he talks a lot about how uh what was the how there was a great quote like i would lay down my life for two brothers but and and for eight and for eight cousins and sort of so the way that we form these social groups and how how like once you have a larger threat your your social group will increase so you'll defend your family but then when there's you know like a society coming to defend to kill your society then you're also your group expands and you yeah. won't only defend your family why, like but patriotism defend, was at yeah. record highs after 9-11 like sure. we are all americans and you're gonna stand up for your brother like and your brother was your neighbor your brother was your country your brother was everyone but then like you know 10 years later your brother's only your brother mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well, but yeah i mean and they do a much better job of, uh and funny it's yeah. also very funny. <laughs> it's really because there's some pretty heavy topics that he breaks down into a very digestible way. You sure. totally recommend. Yeah. Oh, and I'll recommend reading his entire back catalog. We reference it yeah. all throughout the podcast all yeah. the time. It's really the whole thing is quite mm-hmm. We'll get him on here one of these days. One of these days. I reached out to them when they fir- when we first launched the podcast and like his assistant got back to us being like, Thanks for loving us. Your podcast sounds cool. Bye. <laughs> like thanks. Thanks for responding. Where are they located? Uh, he's in, he. I mean, Does he know I, that? I, no, he. I, or yeah, I guess kind of. And he's friends with Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah, but okay. um, he is. Oh yeah. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's in New York most of the time. But he's really interesting. You should definitely check it out. Um, I also did want to say that I do believe. Yeah, I totally agree in general with stop fighting. But I think that a key way to do that 
is to kind of to learn to fight mm-hmm. both physically and verbally and then you have the confidence and the stability and all of these resources to not do that if you if you learn the appropriate ways to fight physically by doing kung fu or if you learn the appropriate ways to fight verbally learning things about nonviolent communication and things like that the fights if you get into one it's going to result in something very different than if you don't have any knowledge of how to do this if you're like i i believe that there are at this point in our human evolution fighting is inevitable and it's only to learn to do it well that i think we can realistically focus well, see, on i think that that the governments of the world should just all come together and say that there's aliens coming to kill us all <laughs> so then we all have a larger threat that we yeah. can right. band together for and I, then, totally know, when it just doesn't happen we'll i mean but moved on no it's not a religion that or is Iranian what's happening right now this yeah. is, yeah. i mean yeah. listen to our game of thrones episode where I'm, we're talking about how the white walkers is climate change like that is what's happening right now the entire world is, is a global true. threat I mean, human humans are on. going to die i don't know so anything about soon. game of thrones by the way, never <laughs> well, seen an episode. I've seen one episode in German and I fell asleep. Fair enough. So, no. You're missing out. Yeah? Uh, good books. Read the books. Read the books? Read the books. Yeah. You like fantasy? Uh, I, I really like fantasy. It's like historical fantasy, films. though. I mean, not based. I mean, <laughs> historical. Like, I mean, it really <laughs> seems like it, don't you think? Like so? an alternate history. Yeah. In an alternate universe. I yeah. Mean, this, no, this happened. This, this, like, this happened. Yeah. yeah. Winter came. Uh, what is something that's really popular now but in five years everybody will look back on and be embarrassed by digit spinners digit spinners is the number one answer yeah not the first person to say that um actually i don't think they're popular anymore right yeah that might have already happened it's already yeah it's already happened are people embarrassed yet (laughs) oh god there's gonna be a lot of things that people are embarrassed about like recently i when i was uh we were playing in germany and there was like a big picture of um Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears in their like jean, jean like the full denim, denim suits yeah. and dress like they must be really embarrassed about that nowadays and they must have <laughs> felt so cool before but yeah I don't know I, I, I kind of I'm not really like uh, with it in that sense like I don't know what the latest and greatest is especially with music and film and stuff like this like, I think we can also it can be like what's popular in like I don't know, in being a human right now. like I think like, sensitivity. Yeah, I, I fucking uh, hope so. I hope we, I no, really no, no, hope but I think we look that's... back and are embarrassed by this fight against freedom of speech in America, that we're uh, like embarrassed by prioritizing safe spaces above all else. Oh, man, like, it's, it's so... Um, and being PC. It's so annoying, yeah, like, I... I believe in equal rights for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, uh, between the two, uh, whatever pronoun you want to use. But don't, don't, like, uh, crucify me if I use the wrong pronoun yes. or if I use the wrong word. For example, my cousin, um, his girlfriend, like, uh, I was just meeting her for the first time and I had heard a lot about her and I was excited to meet her because he's, you know, a good friend of mine and cousin. And, uh, you know, and I said, oh, like, uh, you're Jay's girlfriend. Oh, so nice to meet you. And she was like, I'm his partner. <laughs> and, like, it was like, 
you know the word girlfriend is in the dictionary and there's nothing wrong with that like and she she associates as a girl she and, identifies and... as a girl yeah and he identifies as a guy it's just that that uh like non-alignment thing you know and like the irony is they don't want to align with the gender but they want to align with this like radical <sighs> thought of like call me by this kind of a non anonymous name right yeah partner what are you so business or what i I just to get like upset about that like obviously she knew your intention and the you that's a pretty our family member and and it's so off-putting yeah like okay well now i no longer want i'm excited to meet you now i no longer want to get to know you exactly over before we started and we have a lot of that here like uh and i think now people are starting to wake up a little at least half the population of pi i can only speak for pi (laughs) or like the the backpackers in in southeast asia like you know we had we have these people that come and claim they're healers and reiki masters and all these things and you know i'm everyone should be able to believe in whatever they want to If, if they believe that this stuff is actually doing work for them great i don't believe in it myself but that's fine but there are so many of them that are like it's almost this image thing and they like charge like ludicrous amount of money to go on retreats to fucking bali like to ubud which is like the worst place in the world like honestly there's like polo outlet stores on every corner and all this bullshit and you're like this is where you're leading your fucking healing circle group at you know like Come on, guys. Like. Yeah, it's real. It's real. And I hope that that's and I think it is going to be bad. And what I notice also in like in Europe, I think in Canada, and the US, it's especially sensitive and PC. Yeah. In Europe, in most of the places, they are starting to like recognize that, hey, like maybe the word that we use for uh black people like in our language in for example german or dutch or danish is offensive to them so maybe we need to be aware of this and think of something else okay this makes sense like a a racism right but to like micromanage everything like come on like yeah but i mean so where do you draw the lines though like you know, it's intention. The N word is yeah, yeah. I mean intention. Like it's intention. Well, look, N word for forever is going to be a bad word. It's just yeah, for yeah, Jews, yeah. But the like, K word is forever going to be a bad word. <laughs> you know, but like you know, if I'm if I'm describing somebody, I say that they're black. That that to me, I don't think that should be offensive. It's a it's a characteristic of who they are. If somebody called me white, I wouldn't be offended. Right, and it seems I, much more racist be... of the person to find that racist. Yeah, like there's, like, there's nothing wrong, wrong with, with being, being black. black. Right. Like, you know, no, of course. I mean, I, I mean, like, I even think it's weird to say they're African American. Like, you don't call me European American. Like, I don't know. It just, it it's funny you say weird. this because uh, one of our friends, Nancy, was talking to me yesterday. How one of her boyfriends back in university in the seventies was from Kenya, but was really like um, discriminating against Black Americans for calling themselves African Americans because he says like you, you're not african yeah right yeah and i i have absolutely no opinion on this but like i I think it's just interesting that like people like to sometimes uh call themselves like micromanage their own race or religion or background and identity and like 
okay, actually, you have the right to identify with what I, I can say. I'm like a cyborg. Uh, what are the what are the fucking what's Spock? Vulcan yeah. uh, prince, you know. And you can be like, yeah, you're full of shit. But if I believe it, I believe it, right? But uh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter at all what what you look like and what you believe, as long as you like treat your neighbor with a little bit of respect. And that's it. Totally. And it shouldn't matter what you call someone within reason. Obviously, not the N word yeah. or yeah. the K word or or if like, mistakenly word call if somebody who's transgender. Like I had a, a manager who was a uh, female, but she was gay, and and she she looked very male. Uh, I'm not sure how she said identify. She was, um, but you know, she would often use the men's bathroom because she would go into the female's bathroom, and people would freak out because they thought you know a man oh, was just yeah. kind of walking in. And this was during the whole bathroom controversy in the right. states. And it was just really funny to watch people's emotions get so like caught up in this. And I mean, I think these are political tools that are being so used to, to you manipulate from anything that actually society. matters. Yeah, yeah, anything where we can talk about sex. Is and I think going I, to be all of this PC is is a is somebody use some algorithm to pick topics that would be the most influential to spam social media with to make you know our country more polarized so they could sell more television ads on news stations is really what I think is behind all of this. But I mean, it's and funny to, to watch all the sheeple sort of just fall right in line. I mean, oh, we're so we're so prude in the U.S. Yeah. for being a Western country. I mean. We're so afraid to talk about things that everyone has. Yeah. So, and the things that everyone needs to do to keep our race alive. I mean, <laughs> like, sex is a normal thing. Everyone has genitals. Maybe you have both, you know, if you're a maverick, whatever, it doesn't matter. Why are we so afraid scared to acknowledge of it? Of each other. And what, yeah. and what age does it become like, oh, there's a cute little boy that's naked on the beach. Uh, you know, playing in the sand, you know, because he's a child. But then, like, what? what's the age? And it's like, oh, no. Like, that's now disgusting, you know? disgusting and offensive. And it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, about toilets. Like, we're so, like, scared. I think it's, like, a good thing that backpackers, like, go on these trips and, you know, get the runs. <laughs> because then they, like, talk about it more openly. But, like, you go back to the, to the States – and and in, in Europe, like people are so scared to talk about like any any bodily function. You're like, why? It's natural, yeah. and it builds a, a a culture of shame around these things as well. Yeah. And that just, I mean, I, shame is terrible. It's corrosive to society and and the individual. And mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. Yeah, it's come to this that somebody thought it was good to introduce the shame in the first place is a little. And that's persistence. Mm. Religion. It's the five G network. <laughs> yeah, five G network. I want to. I w this is a segment that we cut from the podcast, like back in the very beginning. But I think it'll be fun to play with you, even though we haven't ever done. We've, I think we've included it on one other episode. I've cut, people I've have cut been it following out. along now. I'll actually get to hear it then. Yeah, so we've referenced we the fact that it used it. to exist. But I feel like you'll be a really good contestant for this I'm game. I'm the guinea pig. Yeah, no. Okay. We, oh no, you've done this before. We've recorded. We've recorded a bunch of them, and then I cut them all out because I was like, oh, I don't know how, how this. If this is, good. I don't think it's that good. But I think it'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'm curious enough to hear it. With it's like you. word association or what? Sort of. No, not really. It's called interesting or not, and okay. I'm going to say a word. And you're going to just say interesting or not. And it's about you. Do you find this interesting? Okay. Or not? No explanations. So I just have to say interesting one or, the other. 
or not. Follow up later at the end. Yeah, if you really need after the after. Yeah, no, you should you should feel okay. free to explain yourself on any of them if you feel if you feel called to. After rules clear. The rules are clear. Okay. Right. Ready? Yep. Reiki. Not. Mycology. What's mycology? Like mushrooms and forest floors, not psychedelic ones, but okay. <laughs> astrology. Uh, astrology is not interesting. Juggling. Interesting. Jesus Christ. Interesting. Beekeeping. Totally interesting. Puns. Mm, interesting. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Superfoods. I mean, there's a lot of false claims out there. So, hey. L- next one. <laughs> Homeopathy. Pass. Homeopathy. Uh, interesting. Politics. Interesting. Hashtag me too. Interesting. Kids. Um, that is depends on the kid. <laughs> Kids is a kids is a concept. Kids is a concept. Oh man, I love childhood. So interesting. Chakras. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> Cultural misappropriation. Um, I think that's that goes along with our sensitivity talk, and so interesting, but but fucking stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Snapchat. Not interesting. Meditation. If it works for you. Past lives. <laughs> Not interesting. Marijuana. Totally interesting. Spirit animals. Um, like in a playful way, or like a you believe that? <laughs> I think you believe that. Yeah, then no. Not interesting. <laughs> yeah, then no. Fairies. Uh. I'm Jewish, so no. <laughs> we don't have fairies, right? Perfect answer. Perfect. I'm atheist, but I'm culturally Jew. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Plastic free living. Plastic free living is interesting. Psychedelics. Totally. Out of body experiences. Yeah. Hypnotism. Um, I don't believe in it, but it's worked for some of my friends to quit smoking cigarettes who are also totally non-believers, so interesting. Hypnotism. Yeah. That was... Uh, oh, that's yeah. ecstatic dance. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> Aliens are interesting. Conspiracy theories. Depends which one. <laughs> Fair enough. Yay, you did it! Nicely done. You made it through. <laughs> All right, any, any you'd like to follow oh. up on? Can you even remember anything I just said? <laughs> Wait, what? Hypnotism. Fairies. Yeah, that's cool. Trevor just quit smoking. He went to the Vipassana thing. It worked? Yeah, it did. It was good. Uh, I mean, I didn't like the Vipassana, but it worked for quitting cigarettes. That's good. I'm sure those two kind of go hand in hand anyway, but How many I, don't, years? I don't think I would have enjoyed it. Even. 15? 15 years smoking? Yeah. Started when I was 15, so yeah. Yeah, jeez. He quit for his 30th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So half his life. Yeah. Yeah. My bandmate was smoking for like 25 years. He's like 44 now. Maybe even more, like 28 years. And he's like a total non-believer. Uh, I mean, like really doesn't 
he's not one of these these uh, people that would believe in any of these hypnotists or spirit animals, like not, nothing like this, or energy chakras. So his mom convinced him to go to this hypnotist and a magnetist. He uses like magnets to find the poles of your body in France. It's just an old guy, like 15 euros and like did this thing. And 10 minutes later, he was he was out. And like during the thing, he just had to like light up a cigarette like with the guy inside. And then like after this, like he walked in, he's like, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> like a month later, he realized he hadn't been smoking cigarettes that whole time. And now it's like over a year and a half. No shit. Quit. Yeah, it worked. Nice. It's it doesn't make a lot of sense to him or me, but yeah, he didn't even realize that he had quit cigarettes. He had no idea. Yeah. He had no idea until uh, until a little bit afterwards. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, to like not be aware of it, that sounds like. <laughs> he all, The only thing he realized was that he probably just wasted 15 euros. Yeah. But then after weeks, he was like, man. It's like the cost of one saved. pack of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <gasps> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What? See, I hear all the, like. Yeah, what do I you not, not believe in hypnotism? I don't know. I don't know enough. I mean, I think there's definitely some truth to to hypnotizing someone. Um, I think you have to be like, maybe like, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. There's like a, a, a like a, a different level of desperation that you need. Like, maybe it's your last hope. You know, and you're like, I well, I think it only has to be your last hope if you don't believe in hypnotism. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be like more yeah, open. That's true. And more I was thinking like somebody who doesn't believe in hypnotism for them to get to the point of being like, and also just the act of doing something that's silly. Like, I don't know. I think there's like these like you have to overcome this threshold before you quit. So you have to like have something that's daunting that you're gonna you know like it's it doesn't it doesn't and then to look back on it and be like, oh, if I fucking smoke after that, I'm f- stupid. Like, yeah, some sort of barrier to be like, no, you know. That's like, why I don't under- understand his situation, but I know like yeah. you know a hypnotist would normally be good with words and he's essentially sort of like a therapist he's good at maybe drawing out some memories uh, and there's all different types there's of all different kind of hypnotists right so i i never been successfully hypnotized myself have you tried to be i've no like i've met people who are like i'm a hypnotist and okay. then have you said do me. Do me, yeah, you know? Or like uh, tar- tarot cards and stuff like this. That's a totally, totally different well, thing. Well, but it's the same bullshit. It's it's I don't think it's one. remotely the same. You know the word Yogi Bogey Box? No. This is a word we need to bring back. It's it's actually in the dictionary. Yogi Bogey Box is like the things that like healers or hypnotists bring with them. Like the nice. box that they have. So let me see what you got in that Yogi Bogey Box. Nathan carries a Yogi Bogey Box. <laughs> Yes, he does. Who's Nathan? <laughs> our, our friend who... We've been trying to convince to come join us and entice out here. Yeah, we keep telling him we're going to fix of... up the back house for him. It's not working. Maybe he could hypnotize me. I don't know if he... I bet he would. He's He's got some interesting gifts. He's more of a physical, hands-on healer. Yeah. I mean, I hate... 
He definitely. All oh, woo woo Yogi Bogey box crap aside, he gives the best damn massage I've ever gotten in my life. I mean, he just like he was like cha- channeling. I mean, he he makes me believe in a higher power because he's channeling it when he massages you. I mean, yeah, like, like it makes me like kind of believe in Reiki because like just the energy of it all. Like, there is a a part of the Reiki, so the idea that we have this energy. I mean, when there's something radiating around us. What it is. Uh, I think science could uh, explain it more than uh, this. Like I think, what is it? Ray, 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 key, key is chi. Yeah. Key is like this life energy that's like universal. I don't believe in that, but I do believe there's something that, uh, of course, come on the and hike with us, and we'll make you, we'll lead you in some qigong at the waterfall, and we'll change your life. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, man. I see. I'm not. I don't. I wouldn't categorize myself as somebody who believes in pretty much any of this i too believe that science can pretty much i think that a lot of this stuff is like a vernacular a way of speaking about concepts that we through scientific method have sort of redefined yeah and this is an older way of, of talking about it when we didn't have the definitions and the minutiae of it all um but fucking qigong man i noticed that like when we would do this qigong like and it's basically just stretching and it feels good. So I, we, we did the Mayan waterfall. I would do some of the Qigong in front of the waterfall. And I swear to God, for like the next week afterwards, it just would just have this tur- turbulent like energy to it. Like a bit like yeah. a clean turbulence. Yeah, it was like it was it was fascinating to observe. And I, I mean, there was other factors, you know. But but look, when you're in nature and you're stretching and you're breathing and you're taking care of your body and you've just completed a hike. I mean, no one can be against that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you, you, yeah, you, you can be a believer or not. You're gonna have, you're gonna feel good afterwards. That's totally. especially somebody who never stretches. Like, yeah, yeah, do exactly. stretch. It's like, yeah, stale cheese. Gone. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's more skeptical, me or you? I'd say me. But you believe in God, so like, doesn't that ultimately well, make me more skeptical? No, because I'm right. <laughs> and but my my reason for believing in God is is. I don't, I believe that out of the two categories, to believe in God and to not believe in God, both are just as unlikely and unprovable, so therefore why not believe? It seems, it <laughs> Answer seems just, question. It's it seems just as absurd. It seems no. just as absurd to believe that, that, that the universe was created out of nothing and is in this great cipher headed absolutely nowhere. That's, that's, that's just as outrageous an idea as there is some sort of higher higher life force a great spirit of the universe that had some sort of intention i think once again maybe it's semantics that's basically what i always say and see but i what i always i always consider myself agnostic in sort of the same vein like you know who the hell knows um but i make this distinction i've also realized that people have i think that there's a value to faith i think that you can derive something out of a belief as you organize it within your mind, sort of the way the same thing, like the way that you can change your perception of a, a problem or an issue or, or the world or can change the way that you then view it, which then can change your reality. Mm-hmm. Same thing with God. If you know, like, so a lot of this came from um, the big book, which is Alcoholics Anonymous is, and, and one of the things that they talk about is one of the reasons why God is in that program at all is if you were unable to do something after being fully committed to it time and time and time and time and time again, the only sort of explanation that could ever save you would be to believe that a power higher than yourself could help you. Mm-hmm. Having given it all, 
all these chances and all and failing over and over again. And I think that's a little bit of a trick that they tell, you know, they like, well, you know, but I think there's value to that trick. You know, if you can kind of harness that power, you can harness the power of faith, which then is like, well, why the hell not? Out of the two options, it seems the most reasonable. I mean, I think that the problem is not necessarily the concept of God, but the concept of organized religion. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, I'm totally against. Or I think organized. But you call yourself an atheist. I'm an atheist. Yeah, 100%. I call myself an atheist. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I what does it believe mean that there you? is a what? What does what mean? Being an atheist. What is the definition of an atheist? It means trusting in, in science and not believing that there is some sort of higher power. Um, but I also recognize through uh, traveling that um, if you were to somehow convince the entire world tomorrow that God doesn't exist, it would be so much war. Yeah. I mean, the whole but reason... But so much war is committed for God. I know. But at the same time, God is what keeps the communities keeps and keeps line. people in line <laughs> or it gives them hope yeah. that they have. I mean, a lot of these people, a lot of people around the world, I don't know how many billions of people have nothing. Yeah, they they, need, And they really God. live well, who's of, this? I mean, who's said it's an interesting like thought experiment, like because maybe then those people would be like. Maybe this wasn't fucking God's plan and I should do something about my situation. Like, who knows what the actual... Yeah. But what can they do, you know? Because, okay, so if we if we convince them that there's no God, but also no such thing as, like, a political system... I mean, there's so many other things that are controlling them in a way and all the other factors involved, like, where they are. Um, I mean, maybe they would possibly take back by force the and level out some of the inequality that you know it might it might happen in a violent way I, i'm just not so convinced that this is you know as rigid of a social no construct. It's all like, hypothetical. you know I, th- I think it's possible that you you might even see a a different outcome than you might suspect of like you know you might even see wars and then you might see some type of society emerged from those wars i think anytime there's a big major change there's always going to be a bit of catastrophe following that yeah. but when it levels out would we end up with something better because i do think that organized religions are fucking horrible mm-hmm. but i do think that we've sort of been dismantling them systematically for a while now without much thought to as to what should replace them and that's part of the problem is you know, those to, social groups, you need belong. those, you know, now our social groups have disintegrated to the point of non-existence where mm-hmm. they're too small or too fractured and nothing's come in to be like, well, here's a large group and, and, and then a larger group on top of that you can all sort of be a part of. Mm-hmm. and Having shared goals. Yeah. I mean, really I think that like the communities that are most isolated from the quote unquote civilized or modern world. Uh, for example, like the Himba in Namibia, like they really live with nothing, no electricity, no cell phone service. I mean, sometimes you go to places without electricity and somehow they have cell phones, you know? No, they have nothing, no water. I mean, they don't drink water. They drink milk and they eat meat and they never shower. They wear, they rub uh, red ochre on their skin and in their hair and they live like 12 hours into the desert. And um, people like this, if you convince them that God didn't exist, I don't think a whole lot would change. Yeah. I think they would just go about doing 
exactly what they're doing today. I think it's the fact that we're getting more and more globalized and more connected that um, there's this there's this like um, irony that like Europe and America, well, Europe, I can't say America anymore, the US anymore, but uh, Europe is really like proactive with uh, with climate change policy and stuff like this. And they're telling like poorer countries that no, no, you can't have your factories. You can't have this and that. You can't live the life that we've lived for the last 200 years. We've lived a life of luxury, but no, 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 not all of us can do it. And that's the irony. It's like, of course, the people, people in India at this um, huge emerging middle class in India and China and other developing countries, like they want to enjoy the same luxuries that Europeans and Americans have been enjoying for the last 150 years. And I think this is um, this is the group that if you were to somehow turn on what I think is the lights and say, hey, listen, like when you die, you're going to become dirt and that dirt in a way there is life after death, right? You're going to become dirt. That dirt is going to become nutrients for some sort of plants. Mm-hmm. That plant is going to be nutrients for some animal, maybe a human and boom, it's all recycled. But it's not how you think. <laughs> You're not gonna come back as a, you know, a unicorn or a narwhal or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I like that. Those are the options. You, you know, definitely the- are coming back with a horn, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's always a horn. Yeah, always yeah. a horn. Yeah. Um. So why do you think I'm less skeptical than you? What makes you say that? Well, I mean, for one, I recognize the. I, I sort of recognize and just don't care about the improbability that I'm right because I, I think you don't really know one way or another. So it's not that I'm like, I'm just as skeptical about the whole God thing as you. I've just sort of chosen to be like, Hey man, like, but do they not know anymore? I mean, like there was that one experiment where they were showing that given the right conditions, they were able to create matter from nothing. But that's—I mean, I don't—I don't—I don't think that science and 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 the idea of a higher power are at odds with one another. No. I mean, I think that you could you say, don't have to be. like, you know, you could create life out of you know random nitrogen and and a couple of carbons, and you know, they would form into amino acids and eventually form DNA. Like the probability of that happening is, you know, whatever it is, and the universe is as big as it is, it just has to happen eventually. But. I mean, where did it all come from? Where did, you know, there, there are still sort of larger questions that are higher dimensional than our brains can really wrap our heads around. Like, But I think then that that's where the, um, I'm kind of an existentialist as well. Like, it doesn't matter. We, we do not matter at all. Yeah, I agree. That fucking new iPhone coming out next but, month, it doesn't matter. I, Ari, anyone? I agree 100%. I probably. Oh, I'm guessing. <laughs> I agree 100%. I think all that really does matter is what can directly affect us and how we can directly affect things. And, and looking at it from that perspective, if you can derive some sort of value from faith, then why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So it's uh, – I forgot exactly who was it. No, Kierkegaard was, was a religious – was a religious existentialist. I forgot who it was. Was saying that you need to create the value of life yourself. So you need to whatever you think is important is important, right? And of course, like um, you can be. I think there's like this misconception that if you're an existentialist, you're like a nihilist and right. you just don't give a fuck. 
about anything or anyone, you know, I, I think that's it couldn't be further from the truth. Totally. You have to create that value. And I think that's that's a very healthy way to live is to is to just realize we happen to be here. It, it, if you're in a good situation, you're very, very lucky. If you're in a bad situation, hopefully the next generation will have it better. You know what I mean? It's it's really kind of there are negative aspects because when uh, sometimes you meet communities of people or you read about communities of people that they've got nothing or they've got so many hardships and we talk about like how we've had all these problems and every time I talk to my grandma she's always like it's such a dangerous world out there it's oh my god I can't believe it all the death and destruction and I'm thinking you lived in two fucking world wars like it's a total different level grandma you know like yeah and and like i mean it's 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 easy to look at, at societies like the one you mentioned and be like wow they have nothing and sort of look down upon them for that but no it, not look down like, upon them no because I, I'm, yeah, I I'm not saying that necessarily like i i you know as, as society i think a lot of people sort of mischaracterize what that experience is probably like for them as as one judging that by how much you know you have and then looking at it and saying like they have so much less than all the things that i value but it's a different value system it's yeah, a different, totally different it's a whole different way of life that if you got food in your belly and you got your your family and community i would argue that you're better off than any industrialized country yeah, yeah. i was gonna say isn't that basically always our goal anyway i mean like that's the thing that brings happiness yeah. and then we just society. compile and layer so many other shit on that it's impossible to impossible to be as content as somebody who is knows that they've uh, reached everything that they are striving to reach by having food in their belly and shelter and well you know I, when i went to uh the first time i went to laos uh like maybe this is also around six years ago um and i can't verify if this is a original quote by uh, it was a monk that came up to me and he goes uh to my friend he goes why why is it that you have a watch but i have all the time Mm, i like that that's very nice and that's how it is these days i mean like i look back at my friends back home and a lot of them they got professional jobs they're making they're making good salary maybe they have a family but for what they're gonna work until they're 70 or 75 and then they're free what like they can't walk after that you know (laughs) or barely can walk and like there's just this over emphasis on on material wealth, some money, things, instead of like experiences. And actually, I think there's this trend now with millennials that they are spending more money on experiences over things. Yeah. yeah so they can take a photograph of it. Exactly. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a good experience they're having. But yeah. no, I think, I think that's, that's hashtag shot of the day. And we're ruining capitalism. So. Yeah. But it does sort of present a problem, especially when you look at developing countries and be like, no, 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 you can't use the dirty fuel that we've used to fund old fun a lot exactly oh you have coal it doesn't matter yeah, don't use it you can't do that yeah you gotta buy our wind uh yeah, yeah. wind turbines yeah. and uh yeah but that's like that's a, an issue that we're gonna have to address more and more as more and more of the world becomes developed yeah and it's hard to get anywhere these days like no we were just in uzbekistan and they have like one of like four countries that have a uh, high speed train, a bullet train mm-hmm. in Uzbekistan. Like, wow. most of the population is living in 
at least a fourth or less than a fourth of what probably a Thai salary is. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. what? They, it's so incredibly cheap at the moment, but their income is like nothing. So they they're not saving, and I think life for the average Uzbeki is really difficult. There's also a lot of political problems and a lot of um, how do you say like uh, internal segregation because there's a huge Tajiki uh, minority, which may not even be a minority, but just on paper because Uzbekistan is the land, Stan, the land of the Uzbeks. So on paper, it says it's like 80% Uzbek or 90% Uzbek. But in reality, I'm pretty sure that the, that the UN estimates it's like 50-50 wow. or 40-60. So they're a sizable minority. Yeah. And so they have all these all these issues and not to mention like the worst environmental disaster in the 21st century, which is the shrinking of the Aral Sea. You know, I'm not familiar. Aral Sea used to be maybe the sixth or fifth biggest sea in the world and now and now uh you just have to take a look people (laughs) take a look it is an it is an awful disaster wow uh and just uh it's it's hard if there's no photos included but basically there's a town called moinak which used to be this very beautiful um fishing village um on the aral sea and now the sea is located more than 150 kilometers away. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. We're talking about the the fifth or sixth biggest sea in the world at one point has shrunk in only the matter of a uh, matter of 50 years. Wow. From Soviet by mismanagement. Of kil- <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, oh by hundreds of kilometers. Yeah, yeah. That's Yeah. And because of that as well, and where it's located in in the middle of the desert. Um. the Karakoram Desert, you have um uh the salinity levels going up, mm-hmm. so all the fish that were are left are dying anyways because oh they can't gosh. take it. Um, and this is all due to mismanagement during the Soviet times for cotton farming and irrigation and stuff like this. Wow. So, I actually don't know how we got there. <laughs> well, what's your favorite thing about yourself? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Because there's so many to choose from. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I never thought. Like, what's my favorite part of myself? Like physically? No. <laughs> I mean, unless that is your answer, it's acceptable. Uh, I'm starting to like this dad belly that I got going on. I'm not even a dad, but like, <laughs> finally get some like my guitar rests on my belly a little bit. <laughs> Maybe your musical inclination, then? If your belly's to rest the guitar on, it seems like the guitar's the more important. Yeah, but that's not part of me. Which was my favorite guitar, you mean? No, <laughs> your your love of guitars could yeah, be... Music. Your adventurous spirit. There's a lot of things we love about you, clearly. We can just list a bunch for you to choose from. <laughs> I mean, I love people. I love I love people from, from all walks of life. And even if you're a healer or a... As long as you're a good person, you yeah. can be whatever you want. Juku Jacko box. Oh, a Yogi Bogey box. Yogi Bogey. Yogi Bogey. Yogi Bogey box. I like yours though, Yuko Jacko. You could, yeah. Jacko. Hugh Jackman box. It's filled with magic. What's your most embarrassing story from childhood? Um, what What is childhood like? Early childhood or 
pre-puberty. Pre-puberty. Okay, good. Or around puberty. Oh, damn. We'll accept up to 14 and... No. That's yeah. the hard thing. Yeah. Let's let's go Pre- with pre-puberty. Pubic hair. <laughs> pre-pubic hair. <laughs> Remember the day you first said, "What is this?" I yeah. I don't remember the specific day, but I remember like <laughs> it all happened at once. You know, yeah. you're like armpit hair. You wake up, you're like, "What is this shit?" <laughs> yeah. You know. But let's not get into that. I mean, let's. <laughs> Pre-puberty, uh, I think my most embarrassing story is, like, I think I was, like, four or five. I was in preschool, pre-K or something. And um, the the new Pontiac mom van came out. Ooh. And it had, like, automatic doors. It was, like, the thing for all moms to have, you know? So we went to the Pontiac dealership, my mom and I. And I think maybe my one of my siblings was there with me. And, like, we parked the car after a test drive. And, like, I opened the door, the automatic door, and I jumped out thinking that there wasn't another fucking car next to it. And I landed right into the car. Like, I jumped into a car and broke my arm. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, I think that's probably the most embarrassing thing. Just because you were, like, trying to look so fucking cool and then you looked like a real dummy? I mean, I don't think it was about being so fucking cool at the age of five, but I think it was more like... Like this will be cool, yeah. If I land, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, there's too many. Everyone's got embarrassing stories. I got, I got a lot of them. I peed in my mom's face when I was getting changed once. Like you remember? No, my mom tells me. Oh, okay. I was like one, I think. Uh-huh. I think my sisters. I don't know if it was me and my brother. My sisters are ten years older than uh, than I am, so they watch this as children um, and infants. We were. <laughs> apparently we used to do this thing like where we, we we were like they would stay in the car with us when our parents would go in and and uh and like we would start screaming kidnap <laughs> i don't cool. know i'm sure your brother was the instigator i'm of that sure one. i'm sure that he was he's a year older than i was i'm sure he's but again what that. they're seeing like two two-year-olds and two 12-year-olds and they're like uh that's true but still <laughs> if you imagine being the 12-year-old in that situation like oh my god <laughs> yeah i guess so. i started babysitting when i was 12 that's so weird to think that like I was 12, wow, and then I was being trusted with, like, yeah. a, three kids at a time. And then all I was doing was playing music and getting high when I was 12. <laughs> you were getting high when you were 12? When did you start Earlier, smoking? I think the first time I tried weed, I was, it was either just before 12, it was 11 or 12, because by the time I got my bar mitzvah, that's right, I did get my bar mitzvah. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember, like, by the time I was 13, I was already a full-fledged stoner. I mean, I ha- I think I can thank my parents in a way for it because they just turned me on to like the best music from a very very young age, and therefore the music was filled with weed. The music totally influenced the lifestyle. I think, yeah, interesting. Or the friend group, at least the friend group. Yeah. yeah. Plus, the friends had older brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Hockenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people do small talk? Um, I, you know, I saw like a meme about that the other day. It's like, uh, like people say they hate small talk, but like you would never like go up to someone, be like, hey, Jen, like, 
the water pump is broken. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would never just like dr- like go right into something. Or that would just be awkward, right? I think in a way, and I'm definitely uh, guilty of this. I think it's partially my ADD. Is uh, everyone's got ADD? But yeah, uh-huh. partially my ADD is um, we're scared of silence. Like, and I always said to myself, you know, like, every time I'm in a relationship, I know, I know it's the right one, or at least for the the time being, when you can be in a room together, like, the whole time and not speak to each other, not have that feeling like, shit, so it should say something, you know, like, as a society, we should, we should value silence more often, especially those fucking honkers over there. Yeah. 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 I agree wholeheartedly. Comfortable silence. Comfortable yeah. silence. Yeah. And especially because the like when you're uncomfortable and it's silent, you tend to not fill it with the most content for your words. No. You know, and it's just like why, why are we, why are we, why are we stuck here talking about the fucking weather? How much you paying for your scooter? <laughs> ah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. But at the same time, like, um, there's this. There's like a way of doing small talk where there is some sort of content that grows out of it or there's some value to it. And like as someone who like has dealt with hostels for a long time or restaurants, I mean, there's a sense of like welcomeness when you do give a little small talk to your guests. Mm. And I hate it. I fucking hate it because, you know, you... You know it means a lot to them, but at the same time, you're like it's time a waste. You're saying that this day, yeah, yeah, you're like feels... it's just a waste of my a waste of my time. Yeah. But it makes it, it's like that extra little cherry on the top of the cake that, like, hey, welcome here, you know, yeah. hospitality, hospitality. What was the what was the question from your interview? What's the difference between hospitality and customer service? And which one's better? Hospitality. Okay. Customer <laughs> service is giving the customer what they want. Hosp- What's hospitality? Making that customer feel at home. It's uh, mm. one way to break it down. I'm sure there's another other ways, but you know, yeah, I can anticipating needs. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, go through everything that people should immediately Google right now: Black House Sessions, Club de Hot Club de Pie. If you come to Pie, come to Jazz House and the Hideout slash the Green Room. Uh, any other things to say yeah no i think you've said them all <laughs> google anything google's great <laughs> google anything <laughs> that's jason's recommendation get out there and google just, just start googling things <laughs> but be careful what you read out, out there you know be careful what you put in that search bar too you yeah know. you never know you never know what's out there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect that's <time, though. laughs> well thank you for taking the time coming on occasionally interesting Thanks for having. And thanks for making our awesome theme song. Yes. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna redo it this year. Look forward to it. Oh,